The views and opinions expressed by guests on this program are not necessarily the views of Thinking Bigger Business Media, Inc. or its employees. Good morning. Welcome to Smart Companies KC, where you can keep up to date on what's happening in Kansas City's expanding entrepreneurial community. Every Friday, we bring you Kansas City's entrepreneurial success stories and business experts who can help you grow your company. Our guest today is Richard Shipley. He is the founder of Local Start. .org, and their mission there at localstart.org is to bring locally manufactured goods to the forefront of people's minds in Kansas City. And Richard is going to be telling us today why he started this organization and why it's so important and what they do to bring locally produced goods to top-of-mind awareness here in Kansas City. Welcome to the show today, Richard. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. You have... Localstart.org, you started that, what, about two years ago? Yeah, about two years ago. It started in October 2011. And um, as you remember back then, we had a full-blown recession going. And um, it came out of frustration, essentially. I and most of the people that I knew had been removed from their jobs. Some of us were in our actually entry-level jobs of what was supposed to be the gateway to something better out of college, right? Yes. We were all told go to school, get a college degree, you know, become a designer, whatever, and uh, the world will turn over and be wonderful. <laughs> and, you know, most of us are sitting around just completely frustrated. And I'm sitting at the table, and it may be somewhat stereotypical, but I happen to be eating barbecue, so- <laughs> barbecue, and uh, I'm sitting there eating Casey Masterpiece, and I'm like, well, where's this made? And at the time, I'd been playing with this idea of, of basically wanting to do something about the recession. Right. Basically, if I at the time there was an energy, big boom in energy, alternative energy going on, and yeah, I wanted to I be into, that. wanted to be in that fight, and um, had been removed, essentially, and um, had a lot of energy. As someone close to me described it, I was itching for a fight, <laughs> and um, I, I'm eating barbecue and holding a bottle of Casey Masterpiece, and I look it over and I'm going. Where's this made? And I look at the bottom and, and like, wait, Oakland. This is Casey Masterpiece, right? I had you know, no this idea. Is, this is Casey Masterpiece. It's supposed to be like the the Casey barbecue sauce, right? So, being the type of person I am, I wiped my fingers off and picked up my phone right there, and I called their customer service and I asked them. I said, "Where's this made?" She said, uh, after a long, drawn-out conversation, she says, "Well, I can't tell you. It's proprietary information." So we're headquartered in. Oakland. I said, yeah, but where's the plant at in KC? She goes, I can't tell you. It's proprietary information. I said, okay. Hung up the phone, just completely confused. I was like, what just happened? So I'd been playing around this idea of starting an organization, called a buddy of mine, and uh, I said, you know what? I want to get everybody together that makes everything. Everybody who produces stuff here in KC, get them all into one place and invite the public to come out so you can actually meet the people that are making stuff here, right? Because those are the people behind the brand. Faces behind a brand. And he's like, "That sounds great. Let's let's start it." So, being the generation I am, I get online, I get on Google, I type in "made in KC," and I get nothing. Not a single Not match. A single match. I mean, it was literally just a few articles that have been written, but nothing organized. And I looked at him and I said, "This is unacceptable." So. We started the next day. It was literally yellow pages, research food processors, get 12 pages, research every single company. And we started organizing it in spreadsheets, right? And uh, again, I looked at him and I said, 
this is great, but we can't share this. We're not sharing this. So how do we do this? Well, let's build a website. All right, so we start putting websites together. It turned into an 11-month research project of trying to find out who's made here. Back in June of this year, we said, well, you know what? This is great, but we need to share this with people. So I called up a couple of people that I knew were physically producing products here, mm -hmm. and I asked them. I said, look, we're going to go do an expo down at this thing called HackKC, part of the National Day of Civic Hacking. Right, right. And we had basically brought on another developer who had put together an app for us. Essentially, it was an Android app that just linked to the website, mm -hmm. right? Really simple. The goal was, what is that minimally viable product, right? What's going to get it started, and then we'll just grow it from there. Exactly. It was ugly. It was terrible. <laughs> the website looked hideous. It was not pretty, you know, and it was basically just an organized list. And it's still out there. You can still get it on Android. But it was the idea that was in it. It was the gold that was in it. So in June, I decided we're going to go to this event called HackKC, and we put a little expo together of products. And uh, we go, and it was my first introduction to civic hacking, this idea of a group of like-minded individuals that want to do good in the world, that have skills and getting together and just basically building a better solution. So there were folks there that were doing stuff like um, tear down Tadler, you know, buildings that were condemned to be destroyed, but they were uh, historic buildings. Right. Right. So they were putting together applications on how to identify that so people can organize to save those. Keep them right? preserved. Right. There were folks like Urban Growth that do aquaponics, Urban Grow, that do aquaponics. They basically took over an old building, bought an old building, and put in an aquaponics center, but they needed a website. So there were people that showed up that said, yeah, I'll build you a website and put it together for them. So we went in, and I'm sitting in around this, and I'm going, these people are great. I mean, basically, I thought I was out in an they're island. they're all from Kansas City. They're all from Kansas okay. City. We all met down at Union Station. Uh, the Casey the Chamber was kind enough to let us use their facilities for the weekend. And uh, we went down, and I was like, this is great. Well, the night before, I had kind of put together a 10-year plan where I thought if we could get this app together, we could get things together really well, you know, what I saw we could really do with this organization. Because, again, it was designed to what could we do about the recession, what was possible, right? At whatever physical level was possible, we wanted to do it. And on that was a trademark. It was something that I didn't think we were going to be able to do for another year. I thought it was a great idea, right? But I didn't quite know where it fit. So right. tell me more about this trademark. What, yeah. what did the trademark yeah. say and yeah. what was the purpose so of it? So the trademark essentially was an idea. Okay. And we get into this event and Katie Greer gets, uh, shows up and she's a graphic designer. And she says, uh, what do you need? What can I do to help? And uh, Jace Wilson from um, Neighborly was there and he, he introduced us. And, and I don't know where it came from, but I, it just kind of came out of me. So I need a graphic. <laughs> I need a trademark. <laughs> exactly. I told her, I said, I need a trademark that everybody that physically produces stuff here can use okay. so that we can identify them in the marketplace and choose to buy their product over someone else's. And she showed up and uh, hacked it out over the next eight hours the following day, spent eight hours on it, and just completely put it together. And it's the Made in Kansas City trademark. And we presented it at that event as Hack Your Local Economy choose to buy this product over that to build your local economy. Now, you have various versions of this trademark, right? That's right. That's right. So the trademark itself um, is flexible in color and scale. The goal of it was to be as accessible as possible so that we have both the very, very small makers that maybe have an Etsy shop to the large folks like the Roastery, right? It's as accessible as possible. It's also free 
for the, the producers that are making their products here to use. We only require that it's only used on products that are physically manufactured here. Where it physically comes off the line is what it's about, because it's about jobs, yes. right? It's about creating jobs. What this has developed into over the last few months is that folks who produce their product here can use the trademark. The establishments that offer those products are also eligible to use a form of it that says we serve or we sell products that are made in Kansas City or that are made in Kansas City. Those establishments are then going to be built into a new app so that as we're out and about in our daily lives, we can choose to patronage those establishments that offer those products. So in other words, when you're out and about and you say, you know what, we're going to get something to eat, but I only want to go to a place that offers our favorite craft beers, right, especially since we've got like six breweries opening up next yes, year. right? there are quite a few. So you just get out your handy app, you access exactly. it, and it will – so it's geolocation. That's you the whole goal, the whole goal. That's right. Radius what's where you nearby? Are. What's nearby, right? Or we're going to go shopping, and I only want to go to establishments that offer our favorite local designers, right, or our favorite uh, handmade items. You know, because we've got some really great stuff here. People don't really think about it as much because, you know, being Casey, we kind of we're kind of quiet about it. But we make a lot of stuff here. A what lot would of be stuff. some examples of products that you wouldn't expect were made in Kansas City? You've been researching all this. Yeah. You have all these spreadsheets. Give us a few. Yeah. So the uh, I think examples. the biggest surprise that people don't know is a company called Vitacraft. 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 Okay. They do produce pots and pans. Professional chef-grade pots and pans. Had no idea. And they export most of them. Japan is their biggest customer, right? But they're really high-grade, the type of stuff that you feel when you pick it up, you're like, man, that's got some weight to it. You know, that's got some quality to it. Go on their website. They've got a video, and you can actually see them hammering out these pots and pans. And it's just it's remarkable because it's the type of stuff that you don't think about, right? Right. It's the type of stuff that you're like, wow, we really make that? And when we do the expo um, where we travel from, from show to show and we kind of present some of the stuff, that's the biggest surprise. It really is, you know. So how many, just, just real quick, how many of these expos do you have each year? You use plural there. Well, um, I'm sorry, when we travel to expos, we'll go and okay. do uh, shows and stuff like that. But our first expo was back in October. We actually put on our own. Um, we partnered with uh, Better Block KC. And we invited uh, a bunch of product makers to come out, and we set up an expo, and people walked through, and it was great. I mean, uh, Mayor Sly James came out and bought a new bow tie and tried some local hummus. And, uh, you know, we got to see some of the bike makers mm-hmm. and um, leather workers and folks do, like that. Do you uh, have any kind of a presence at Maker Fair, Maker's Fair? Um, yeah, actually, we, we were at the Maker's Fair the last, uh, this last go-around. Uh, you know, I think... I'm pretty sure we've got the largest speaker fair around now. I would think so. Yeah. It's, it's, it keeps growing and growing. It's only been here a few years. One of the folks up in Parkville told me that it actually started out in Parkville and then got moved um, to Union Station. I love it. I absolutely love Maker Fair. And that's exactly those are the folks, right? Because those are the folks we're trying to give access to. Those are the next big companies, the people that are making those hand products, right? That's where it all starts. Mm-hmm. So that's another reason to make it so accessible, to make it open for everybody, is that the people that are doing hand stitch work, those are the next makers. You know, and that's absolutely right. We just had our big breakfast, uh, our fourth quarter big breakfast, and one of our cover stories was mm-hmm. on the panel, Leanne Carlson from Lawrence Hope. Mm-hmm. She makes medical ID bracelets. Mm-hmm. And it all came because a friend of hers' daughter was diagnosed with a condition that required her to wear an awful, ugly medical bracelet. She was a 15-year-old girl, did not want to do that. Mm-hmm. And so Lauren pulled together these uh, 
bracelets and made one for her. And then she started getting requests, well, where did that come from? Where did, mm-hmm. She now has over 400,000 customers. Mm-hmm. And it all started, just right. as you said, it starts very small and it yeah. grew organically. Yeah. So it's, who knows um, where some of these companies are going to go? Yeah, I mean, and it's... it's um, it's a really great way to start. I mean, you think about the way business develops or the traditional idea of how products are developed, right, where you get that concept and then what do you do? You go out and you find financing and you find a manufacturer and you get it made. But a lot of people do it completely differently, and it's a very bootstrapping technique, and uh, the term for it escapes me right now, but I think it's called microenterprise, where basically you just make things yes. and you sell them, and then you grow until you have enough money and to produce and a lot of times you're yeah. going to all these little fairs and expos around yeah. the city all the you know in the yeah. fall and the spring all the different local yeah. governments and, mm-hmm. and cities have these little things you see the booths set yeah. up prairie village and uh independence and all over the metro yeah. and you see them all there yeah yeah exactly i mean and there's some of the makers that there are some of the, we call them locals that um that have the trademark that they do well over 200 shows a year Yes. I mean, that's their main it's income. pretty grueling. And it's, you know, it was kind of fun because when we went and had the expo, some folks came out. It's folks like White Birch Designs who does jewelry, right? She does handmade jewelry, really, really gorgeous stuff, right? But they're setting up their display tent, and they've got tents and tables and tablecloths and all that. You know, we've got a folding table and a sign, right? <laughs> and I'm going, She's you, guys, a while. Like, you guys are all pro. She's like, oh, yes, <laughs> you know? But, yeah, they've got, you know, that's their store. It's their pop-up store, as the term's called now, right? So... What we're trying to do is make those products available in the regular stores, in in the go-to stores, because another thing that we probably don't do a good enough job of talking about it, but when you shop at the small stores, right, there's a statistic that was produced, um, I think it came out in Entrepreneur a few months ago, it's available on our website, but $68 of every 100 that's spent locally stays local. It takes a second trip around the local economy, right? right? So you can choose to be able to decide where your money goes. So two-thirds of every dollar that mm-hmm. you spend locally stays local, right, right. essentially. Right, but as it is right now, most of the small shops, they are those gateways for the local products. But for the most part, you know, you go into a small store, but you're not sure why. You see a pair of boots on the shelf, for instance, and it may be the exact same price or pretty close to the same price as what you'll get at, say, a big box store or Kohl's or something like that. But there's no real reason why you should buy those other than because you want to shop small. But these small shops being the gateways for many of these small makers and these uh, small local producers, Mm -hmm. right, now they have an extra niche. They have a reason to go because those are the outlets for those products. So to be able to identify those and, I mean, be able to put those tools in the hands of people to be able to choose to find those stores, I think I described it the other day as the democratization of economic development, being able to choose to buy this over that, understanding that there is more at stake than price. Uh, one of the local leather workers said it in a uh, talk the other day. He says, you know, we produce a belt that you may be able to buy two or three belts over the next decade, or you could spend the money on one that's going to get better with age. So, you know, the craftsmanship, the quality that goes into that. The obsolescence isn't built in like it is in so many products these days. Mm-hmm. It's something that's made to last. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you are working on an app mm-hmm. that will help 
people like me who have very limited time, you're actually doing my research for me, and I just punch in or it picks up my location and says, go here or go there, Mm -hmm. and I'm there. Are you developing anything that is putting manufacturers of these products and retailers together so that – or – uh, on the conversely, the the people who have an idea for a product but they don't have a manufacturer, mm-hmm. are you working on things to pull all of those people yeah. together too? Tell yeah. us about that. That's that's the next step, and that's something that that we're working on is being able to identify what's possible, not only what's made here, but what's possible to be made here. So we're working to try and identify the manufacturers that are here in town. We identify the manufacturers as people that not only produce products for themselves, but produce products for other folks. A good example of local one that I think most people are are familiar with is Original Juan. Yes. Right? Original Juan not only produces their own stuff, but will produce products for other businesses. True. Right? Mm -hmm. So you, as a company, a small business, can have them take care of your production so you can focus on the marketing and the sales. Being able to identify those capabilities with what else is being made here in town is kind of the third leg of the initiative so that when these startups and these small businesses are ready to grow, if they choose to, to be able to know what their manufacturing options are here right. in town. Because what we've got is we've got kind of this odd new situation where a lot of manufacturing still works off of fax machines and handshakes. You know, how did you get your stuff made? I knew a guy that knew a guy, which is a perfectly fine way to do business. I mean, that's that's the way it's been done for decades, right? It's great. The challenge is, is that now we have a generation of entrepreneurs that if you don't exist on Google, you don't exist. And the first person that's going to talk to them is who they're going to go with. Right, mm-hmm. And nine times out of ten, you get on LinkedIn in the manufacturing section, and there are representatives that are ready to get you set up, get you prototyped, and have a crate back to you from China in six months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot, a lot of that is offshore. Right. Being able to bring those manufacturers into what's known as the shared economy, being able to bring them into – um, yeah, into the shared economy or the mesh, as uh, Lisa uh, Gansky describes in her book, The Mesh, um, understanding what their capabilities are and being able to share those resources amongst the startups so that they don't have to go buy all that equipment all over again, right, is is the third leg of the project. And it's a doozy. Well, I was going to say, it, it, it is a doozy, but it's also where it could have – such an impact. You were talking about job creation earlier, and imagine that you're a manufacturer and you have some excess capacity, mm-hmm. and to be able to put another uh, line on your equipment mm-hmm. when you have downtime. Mm-hmm. The, you talked about job creation. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's where it really starts having the impact. Yes, yeah. my dollars to buy this here or there, that's one thing. Uh, I'm, I'm probably... Uh, helping to support somebody's service job. But when you t- talk about providing additional lines for manufacturers, mm-hmm. that's where the exponential growth would occur, I think. I mean, yeah. what what are yeah. your numbers showing? Absolutely. Well, at this point, we don't have any. That's the problem. Ah, okay. Because the oldest organization that's done this really successfully is SF Made, and it's about five to six years old. So the models that we're working off of for the, for the uh, Made in Kansas City are – both done out on the West Coast and the East Coast, right? So you've got the SFMA, the San Francisco model, which is a great model, 
right? And then you've got the manufacturing side out on the East Coast. So we're basically smashing them together mm-hmm. for the Made in KC, um, taking the bits that we feel really applies best to Kansas City for our overall growth model. But the impact of those things haven't been measured yet because it's not been done. I mean, it's really it, this is really kind of groundbreaking type work. So it sounds like anyway. <laughs> no, no, it, it sounds it sounds like it is. There's all kinds of you can imagine uh, sitting where we sit. We hear lots of ideas, mm-hmm. and we attend lots of things mm-hmm. where where people's imaginations are running wild. And what interests me is. First of all, do you ever get it to market? Do you ever get the idea commercialized? Mm-hmm. And then second of all, the tracking behind it. And that's right. where it sounds like you are right now is trying to figure out some of the additional impact. You have mm-hmm. the stats on the buying side, mm-hmm. but as far as the manufacturing side, you're still that's working right. through all of that. That's right. Yeah. And yeah. How, how do you track that? I mean, what are the kinds of things that you measure? It seems like such a you know multi-armed kind of what, what sorts of things do you track in order to deem this whole project? And, well, it's not a project. Projects have a definite beginning and ending, yeah. uh, this whole initiative. Mm-hmm. How, how would you deem it a success? Um, well, at this point, we're measuring the amount of traffic that we're able to drive to the makers, to the product makers, right? So we do a lot of social media, um, you know, because, again, it's about meeting people on that person-to-person level, right? Why should you care about this product? Because it's made by people that, like you, have chosen KC as your home. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's people like you that your kids could go to school together. It's those kind of things. So right now we're measuring it by the amount of traffic that we can drive to the makers, um, what we hope to do with the app is then also then how much are we driving to the stores, yes. right? And for the manufacturing side, right, how many startups were we able to bring to those manufacturers? And those may not be the best business decisions. They may not be. For startups and manufacturers, those partnerships may or may not work. But right now, we don't know. Exactly. Well, and you're you're cutting through a lot of their research mm-hmm. with this. I mean, the time that they, at least you're you're starting the conversation for them, and then it's up to them to decide whether or not yeah. they're good. They have a ability to be good partners. Yeah, right. Yeah. So exactly. that, you're, you're not guaranteeing that part. You're no, not. You're no. not one of those. And it's people. not about that. Right. It's, a, it's about being able to know what your options are. It's about the re- understanding the resources. Exactly. And that's what it's about and then measuring success stories afterwards. And I'm not sure that you ever really could. Remember, you're trying to base it off the entire globalized society, right? Right. So <laughs> well, that, when you brought up metrics, when you talked about the measuring, yeah. uh, I was curious how you were going to do that because it does seem, like I said, it's a multi-armed thing. How mm-hmm. do you ever get your arms around something yeah. like that? Yeah, I would measure it in growth. One day maybe on kceconomy.com I can... <laughs> Are you do you have plans on uh to create a blog or any portion of your website that shares these success stories? Yeah, we have a we have a blog. We have a Maiden mm-hmm. Casey blog. I probably don't update it as much as I should. But uh yeah, those are where those outlets are supposed to grow. I think ultimately, especially in the restaurants. You think about the establishments where you can go to eat. In five years, I want to be able to go into a restaurant and not necessarily have to only be able to pick one that I know specifically. But in five years, I want people to be able to go into restaurants and bring their friends from out of town and say, these are the ambassadors for our place. When folks come in out of town, what do you do? When we're going to go out to eat, you know, sometimes, yeah, okay, we'll go to wherever everybody wants to eat, right? But if you've got folks that want to see KC, 
What's the first thing you do? Oh, you take them into see just the local. Exactly. Thing. And we we make a point not five years from now. I mean, mm-hmm. we we already make a point uh, personally to patronize yeah. the independently owned restaurants. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we bring people in, we definitely make sure that we're hitting those. Exactly. You know, they can go to a chain restaurant anywhere in yeah, exactly. the U.S. Right. So, right. And, the, and yeah. those places, you know, those chains, they have a reason to be there. That's a good thing that they're there. You know, it's business altogether. But when you take someone to a local place, I want in five years to be able to go into a restaurant and there's local items on the menu, there's local art on the wall, and you're listening to local music. Be able to have that connection, right? Right. It's not homogenized. It's it's, it's what, this this is Kansas City. Mm -hmm. This is its unique personality, its unique character through Mm -hmm. all of these individually owned and, and, uh, it, it's not some, you know, some homogenized, watered-down version right. of an experience you can get anywhere. Right, right. So you were talking about five years in the future. Mm-hmm. You've obviously accomplished a lot. Where are you right now on the continuum? Is it still a labor of love? Is it a volunteer? You're not for profit, correct? Mm-hmm. We are not for profit. So tell us about that. We are all volunteer at this point. We're an all-volunteer. The goal is to be self-sustaining. Okay. The goal is to be self-sustaining, and. I want to be self-sustaining by next year, <laughs> to be honest with you, um, because there's just – every time someone has tried to do a bi-local movement of any form, right, it's always been a side project. People are busy, and people have got stuff going on. It's either been done by a civic government or a guild of people who makes things. Yes. It's always a side project, and the reason it gets dropped is because they've got something else going on. They have their business to run. They have their day job, and it's always that labor of love, which is a beautiful thing. But unless you have someone that's driving that, unless you have someone that this is all we're doing, it will fizzle out. It will. And the challenge is to not make it a trend. The challenge is for it to go past the point where it's trendy because when we hit that threshold and it's trendy and everybody's talking about it, It'll be the year after that will be the real testament. Right. Right? Oh, yeah. Trends fade. They, they die. Mm-hmm. You want to it to become part of the fabric exactly. of the community. It needs to be in the basis of everyone's soul. Right? That's a very, very eloquent way to put it. So anybody who wants to get involved with this, mm-hmm. how would they do that? Okay. If you're physically producing product and you want to join the initiative, you visit our website. It's www.localstart.org, right? And you click on the link, I have a product. It's a real simple Google Doc. You fill it out. We have a conversation. There's no automation here. I'm going to call you. You're going to get Richard himself. Yeah, either myself or someone that works with me. But it'll mostly be me, simply because this is how this conversation goes. Where is your product made? Well, we, we make it out in Waldo. Great. Here's the graphics. I mean, it's literally a one-on-one conversation. Because and by graphics, you mean the trademark. The trademark, mm-hmm. right? We provide the the graphic trade the files for it, and then the makers institute it however they see fit, right? So they can change it in color and scale as it needs to fit their packaging, or their marketing, or their website, whatever that initial basis that they want to participate in, they can because it's supposed to be accessible. If they are Someone who has a passion for all things KC and wants to get involved, we have a volunteer form. So it says join the initiative. You click on it. It's a simple contact info of how you see you can really help out, and you can get involved that way as well. If you are an establishment that wants to um, be recognized for your efforts, (laughs) you can uh, click on um, I serve or I sell products that are made here.
and there are buttons for each of those areas on your website. Correct. And don't expect to get some sort of a canned answer back. If you <laughs> click on that, you better be committed to getting involved because you're going to hear from Richard and you see how passionate he is about this. I do want to clarify one thing. If you're an establishment, mm-hmm. in order to participate in this, do you have to carry things that are 100% made in Kansas City? Uh, in other words, do you qualify if just one of your products or one of the things that you serve right. is made in Kansas City? How does that work? Yeah, in order to qualify, you have to carry one, at least one product of the locals. Okay. Right? So when you click on Meet the Locals and it has that list of 52 companies that are now joined the initiative, you have to at least carry one of their products. Okay. Right? Um, that is the minimum requirement. Um, reason being is because for folks that don't carry any of these products, that don't, there's a lot of existing services out there for that. I mean, Yelp alone does a really Absolutely. good job. Absolutely. Right? right. So it's just services and um, stores that don't carry those products. It's just not work that we feel needs to be replicated. We don't have anything to contribute to that conversation. Um, so, I, you know, we get approached a lot for services. And I'm like, I... I would love, love to help you, <laughs> but the problem is, is that there's already so many things out there. There, there are, so, absolutely, and so it, yeah. it's the local products, mm-hmm. uh, manufacturers that you're after, and the establishments that serve or sell those products, Correct. and obviously if you want to volunteer for this, uh, they want to hear from you as well. So Richard Shipley, founder of localstart.org, thank you very much for being on our show today and wish you the best of luck. Keep us updated on what's going on. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. We're very happy to. And for those of you who would like to find out more about growing your business, please be sure to visit our website at ithinkbigger.com. And you can follow us on Facebook at Thinking Bigger Business Media or follow us on Twitter at I Think Bigger. Be sure to tune in next week when we have Sherry Turner, the founder of 1KC for Women, in the studio. Have a great weekend. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.